time for the morning brief where we bring in one of our pundits and have a go around at some of the day's more discussable, debatable, and intriguing news stories. Tim Hudak is here, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now at the Re- Ontario Real Estate Association. Good morning, Tim Hudak. Good morning, John Moore. So documents obtained through access to information reveal that the current health minister was told when she arrived on the job that the government's law 124, which holds civil servants to 1% pay increases per year, was worsening health staffing issues. So, you know, she had evidence in front of her that said this is a problem for nurses and personal care workers, and yet, you know, we just kept moving. Well, I think a couple competing things here. First, that's no surprise. Anytime that you cap uh, wages, it'll be below inflation that took off. And there's other places or people that go. You're going to face labor issues. I also think governments should have a right to cap the pay of public sector workers when they're facing a deficit crisis. And I hope they win the, the lawsuit. I, I want to say this, this this came up in a transition binder. And you talked about this earlier on. I, I want to say, though, I miss a transition binder. It was like when you become a cabinet minister or you change ministries. It's almost like Christmas. You get this big binder that comes in, and basically a couple pages in all of the files, not just the major piles, but all the files you'll face as minister. And there'd be different patterns, John. Some ministers would say, I'm not leaving the room till I go through and know everything about the ministry, and others would take their time and get through it over time. I remember one minister, a new minister, who got scrummed by the media on a key issue, and he said, hey, I've not been briefed yet, didn't get through my big binder, and sort of waltzed through the scrum. It was the first time I've seen that get out of jail free card. But these things tend to give a minister an important perspective on everything that's in her or his uh, bailiwick. So no surprise this information is in there. The fact of the matter is there is a North American wide shortage when it comes to nurses. American media similarly talk about states struggling to retain and attract new nurses. The important question is, what do you do about it? No doubt that there will be benefits for nurses when they go through the new round of negotiations, whether that be in hospitals, long-term care, or community work. That's important. They've been given some retention pay. They will get more. And quite frankly, of all the public servants, I'm most sympathetic to nurses for what they went through in COVID. You need to have more seats at our colleges and universities. It's, it's encouraging to see that there's been a significant increase in demand, you know, up 25% for those nursing positions since 1819. You need more placements for training and you need to make sure that foreign educated workers can be a short-term solution and get them into the system. And very importantly, I think you need to change the overall structure with healthcare, including investments in long-term care. Meanwhile, uh, let's get to the Toronto budget, and uh, we start with transit, the board approving a fair hike. It's not that significant a fair hike. Uh, More spending, but actually some service reductions. Your thoughts? Look, I've been interested to see how Mayor Tory, now heading into his third term, uh, and the new strong Mayor Powers was going to act in office. There would always be a temptation, John, you're in your third term, you won by a landslide to drift, to take your time. But he's gone at it, and I really like what, what I'm seeing. I mean, first of all, he came out strongly with initiatives around housing to get more homes built, some aggressive measures that people can actually afford in Toronto. Check mark there. And I like what he's doing with the Toronto Transit Board and the Police Board. You know, both came through yesterday. They're showing a consistent path, and the mayor has strong support from council. What I like about the Toronto Transit Board decision, a 10%, or sorry, a 10 cent fare hike, at the end of the day, is a very small amount of money, and it means that fares are actually less than they were a couple years ago due to inflation. The part that really caught my eye, though, John, is the hiring of more special constable security. It is frightening to see what's happening on our transit system today. Families are intimidated to go on. They, no doubt the number one driver wife, the number of ridership is low, is because of 
of return to work in hybrid environments. But number two, it's not fares. It's people being fearful of being beaten up, attacked, or even killed on the subway system. I like the measures here. Fair, reasonable, and hiring more security, good for them. Okay, one other aspect of the budget would be the uh, police board yesterday approving an almost $50 million uh, injection of spending. And actually, it should be characterized that a goodly portion of that is simply mandated wage increases owing to previously negotiated contracts. They're still hiring 200 officers, filling 100 jobs that were... uh I think these are 200 brand new officers, actually, John, if I read that correctly. And I I link this in with the transit issue. I think a major vulnerability for the mayor, for council, is increased crime, both both violent and petty, across the board, and a growing sense of urban decay. Toronto's been a tremendous success story. I'm, 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 I'm proud to be part of that these last 10, 15 years. So stay on the course, but a big risk is what's happening around crime and decay. And both the transit decision and this around police of getting more boots on the street, fighting back against crime. And thank God we didn't go down that path of some American cities of defunding police, villainizing our women and men in blue. I like the course that we're on. I was mentioning this special case, although, you know, everybody's going to have their own arguments, of one guy who's been told to repay his COVID-19 pandemic benefits. He ended up with $24,000. And, Tim, when I look at this story, you can't simply declare yourself to be an actor and then suddenly say you deserve an annual salary when acting goes out of style because of COVID. Um, I I would like to see, and, and I feel bad for people who you know, we're not able to make a decent living during COVID. But if you weren't making a living before it, doesn't mean you deserve some sort of a special federal allowance during it. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely fair. This this is, um, I mean, you and I read uh, tons of articles, as your listeners do on a, on a regular basis, and there's some things that just don't add up. So the gentleman is saying that uh, he's owed 24000 or he has to pay back $24,000 from getting too much in COVID release as part of the CERB program and others. And again, we needed to get money out the door. We needed to keep the economy afloat. We couldn't collapse when COVID began. But it is very fair and reasonable that taxpayers who have supported people will get money paid back if people were overpaid. And when you find out that the usual overpayment was three to 4000 and this guy got $24,000, it just doesn't add up. It seems me there was some abuse there in that system. Well, and also it's been a while since I've asked my friends at Actra what an average wage is for an actor, but overwhelmingly, you know, some actors are making half a million dollars a year. The overwhelming majority are making like three and four thousand. Yeah, that seems plausible. John, I mean, you would you would know more about success in the sector than, than I would. But when you see this kind of disparity and some run to the media, you know, as my daughters say when they play Among Us, it's a little bit sus. So a grocery store slow checkout line for people who'd like to have a chat. Um, I would avoid this at all costs. <laughs> but I, I do get the wisdom. I mean, maybe there are some people for whom going to the grocery store is the only human contact they're going to have all day. Yeah, well, I, for sure, for sure, you can see this with uh, with the seniors. I'm a bit of a chatter, John. I I just like to engage with people. Sometimes it's eye rolling for for Debbie as I work my way through through a supermarket or wherever. I just like to talk to people. <laughs> First of all, this is this is happening in the Netherlands. The name of the the business I got a kick out of is called Jumbo Supermarkets. That would attract me. That's my second favorite grocery store name next to Piggly Wiggly, which I'll always frequent as well, just just for the fun of it. But I, I'll tell you this: this sounds like good old fashioned. 
customer service. And at, at our local metro, uh, they have a, a, a grocery clerk who has a developmental disability, and I will go to his line. He is friendly. He's polite. I'll chat with him. He just loves his job and what he's doing. It makes you feel good about it. I think the kind of guy that actually would go through these lines because I kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, I like chit-chatting once in a while, but I'm not much for, you know, marking time by talking to strangers. Here you pick your lane, right? When you go through customs, do you go to the chatter? Do you go through the one that's running you through? I get the scarcity of time, but I do like it when somebody just engages with you and makes you feel good as a customer that you came through that door. Thank you, sir. Nice chatting with you. Have a great day.